Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Northgate, you all are some special people. Like, I feel so honored to be with you on this morning, to be able to share in your fellowship as we celebrate the resurrected Jesus on this Easter Sunday. Thank you for having me. As Larry said, we have twin boys that are about to turn four. We have a one-year-old. They are home with grandma and papa. Thank you, Jesus. All right? He is risen indeed. We have a little bit of a break, my husband and I. We are so happy to be here. They, I, got the, I got the videos. They found the Easter baskets that I left before them. So they're still celebrating. It's fine. But man, is it good to be here with you all. And I don't know about you, but with Easter comes this expectation, this expectation to be excited because we should be excited because Easter changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. Death has been defeated. Sin has been forgiven. All of life is different because Jesus rose from the dead. And yet, there's also this pressure to feel ready to celebrate. When maybe the reality that this changes everything doesn't actually resonate super deeply with you. Maybe when you look at your life, you're still wondering when the change is gonna happen. That nothing actually feels very different. Sin is still a part of your story. You look around and death is still everywhere. You question, is forgiveness for you, even for that? And so there's this tension that comes with Easter. We want to celebrate and we want to rejoice of the gift of the fact that death has been defeated. And yet our current reality doesn't always feel that way. We look around at the world around us. There's literally a war happening right now. Most of us in this last year, two years, have lost people that we have loved. They're not going to be at the Easter table with us this year. And so sometimes if we give ourselves space at Easter, we get to start asking some of the questions. What's the gift for today? Not later, not when you come again, not when we're all in eternity with you celebrating and we really actually get to see all of the tears wiped from our eyes, but today. What does Easter mean for me today? What are the gifts of the resurrection that I can grab a hold of even when it doesn't feel like everything has changed? But more often, that things are exactly the same. And so this morning, I wanna look at some snapshots of the resurrection story, some friends of Jesus and how they experienced that first Easter that first resurrection morning. And I want to begin with Peter and John. Now we're going to be in John. If you want to open your Bibles, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to be summarizing a lot of these stories, but this one begins in John 20. And I love this about John. John describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm like, okay, John, I see you. 
you got the pin. You're writing this story. You're like, hmm, should I call myself John or the one Jesus loved? Because that's me. I'm, I'm the one Jesus loved. And he doesn't stop flexing. Like this is what he does in John 20, right? So here's what happens. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She gets there early in the morning. The tomb, the stone is rolled away. It is empty. And she starts to freak out. Like, they left the night before. He hadn't had a proper burial. Jesus really did change everything for Mary. He set her free from all of her demons. And so she goes back to give him a proper burial. And now the body is missing. She doesn't understand it. She's freaked out. So she runs back to the disciples. She finds Peter and the one Jesus loved, a.k.a. John. And she's like, listen, the body's gone. And they're like, wait, what? And they run to the tomb. And this is what I love. So Peter and the other disciple started running for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. (laughs) Really, John? Like, that's what you needed to put in there. You needed to make sure everybody knew you were the faster runner. You made it first. You were more concerned than Peter was that day. You outran Peter. So this is what I love about John. He's like, I am the one Jesus loved, and I am a faster runner than Peter. (laughs) And so he goes, and he gets there, and he looks into the tomb, and he sees that the linen is there, but he doesn't go in. Peter does. Peter, typical Peter, putting the foot in the mouth and running ahead when he's not thinking. He just runs straight into the tomb, and he's like, I'm confused. Where's his body? Where did he go? Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he just wants to make sure you really understand that he got there first. He also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So early church fathers think that this is him believing that the body is missing, that the body is not there, just like Mary said. Newer understandings of this says this is John saying he understands and believes that Jesus has actually been risen from the dead. But it's in this moment when he recognizes the tomb is empty. And then they go back. They leave. They haven't answered any questions. They haven't figured anything out. They just know the tomb is empty and they leave. The next snapshot, Mary, she stays. She stays at this empty tomb by herself, overcome with grief and mourning. Because in her reality, in her understanding, Jesus is simply gone. He's not alive. He's missing. And all of a sudden, these angels appear. And they ask her, why are you crying? What's wrong? And she tells them, matter of factly, she's like, they've taken my Savior. They've taken my Lord. He's missing. They're like, he's not missing He's alive. And then Jesus shows up. But she doesn't recognize him. In his risen state, in his resurrected body, Mary does not recognize Jesus. She turns around. She sees Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? 
Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him, cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Immediately, as soon as Jesus mentions Mary's name, she knows that it is him. She may not have recognized him by looks, but she recognized the sound of his voice. And she recognized the one who had set her free so many years ago. When she was struggling with demonic influences, when she didn't, wasn't right in the head, when everybody who walked by her chanted, unclean, unclean, she recognizes the man who set her free. And didn't just set her free and bring her back into a right state of being, but welcomed her along to follow with him. And she was there till the very end, the first one that Jesus shows himself to, which is crazy if Jesus was doing things by the book, which if you've been walking with Jesus long enough, you know that he never does that. He likes to flip things up on their head. Because a woman's testimony at that time was not valid. Her going and declaring that Jesus was alive didn't make sense. If you wanted to make sure people knew you had risen from the dead, which is a big deal, you find a guy to tell that to, not a woman. A woman's voice didn't matter then. It doesn't make sense that Jesus would choose Mary to show himself, but he does it anyway. And she recognizes him as soon as he says her name. And then he gives her some directions. Go and tell the others. Go and make sure that they understand that it is just as I have been trying to tell you all along, and you guys have been a little slow and unable to figure it out. I am alive. I did what I said I was going to do. I have defeated death. I have conquered sin. I am alive. Go and tell the others. And that is what she does. The next snapshot. The disciples, including Peter and John, they left that morning and they went back into a room. And it says that they are behind a locked door for fear of the Jews. They're afraid. Maybe they understood that Jesus had risen from the dead. Maybe they just know his body is missing. But regardless, they are afraid. The fullness of the reality of the resurrection has not yet hit them. They're afraid of what is about to happen, what could happen. And it's in this place of fear, in this place of questioning, in this place of wondering what is next, that Jesus shows up in the middle of the room. And he says to them, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He comes into the place of their fear, into the place of their wondering and not knowing what is next and steps into that space and says, peace, 
peace. The next snapshot. Jesus and Thomas. Now, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you might know Thomas better by his nickname, Doubting Thomas. And I, like, John, come on. Like, come on, John. You didn't believe he was risen from the dead until you literally ran to the tomb and saw the things lying there and his body not there, right? Thomas gets a bad rap. It says that Thomas, one of the 12, was not with disciples when Jesus came. He was missing. So when Jesus came in and said, peace, when Jesus came in and said, receive the Holy Spirit, Thomas wasn't there, which means, think about it. He was outside of the locked door. He was out and about. We don't know what he was doing, but to me, that communicates a little bit of bravery more than the others. He was willing to be on the outside of what everybody else found secure. He wasn't there, which means he was not behind a locked door. Maybe we need to start thinking of Thomas a little bit differently. So he shows up. Maybe he went out to get breakfast. Maybe he grabbed the coffee. I don't know. He missed the big reveal. And all of the disciples are like, dude, (laughs) it's legit. He like rose from the dead. We saw him. Like he was here. He was just here. And I don't know about you all, but like sometimes guys being guys, like you start messing with each other a little bit. And I wonder if Thomas thinks that's what's going on right now. He's like, sure, sure, sure. Cool. Convenient. Well, I'm not here. He just shows up and you get to see his like hands inside. And so he does what I think most of us would do until I see it for myself. Until I see it for myself. And Jesus is like, I got you. And he shows up again behind this locked door. Mind you, it is still locked. Mind you, they have already seen Jesus. He's already breathed on them the Holy Spirit and the door is still locked. They are still afraid. And Jesus shows up and he goes straight to Thomas. A week later, the doors are locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, like he's like, I heard you. Go ahead, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And a lot of times we can take that verse and and maybe feel like Jesus has kind of given one to Thomas, but I don't think that's who Jesus is. I don't think that's how he goes about it. I think he gives a lot of grace and understanding that even though he had been trying to prepare them for his death, even though he had been trying to prepare them, that he would in fact rise again, that that was a hard thing for them to understand and comprehend. I think he said to Thomas, blessed are you. You see and you believe. And then he's also speaking to us in this moment. Because there are going to become people 
Later on, you and me who are blessed when even though we do not see, we still believe. We're still here. We're still showing up. We haven't seen the hands. We haven't put our fingers into his side. And yet here we are on this morning, believing, having not seen. And then there's another snapshot. This happens a little later on. If you know the story of Peter, Peter At the Last Supper, before Jesus had been taken away, before he had been beaten and crucified, Jesus actually tells Peter, you're about to deny me. And Peter's like, no, 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 uh-uh. You got somebody else. It's somebody else, God. It's not gonna be me. I'm not gonna deny you. And he's like, not only are you gonna deny me once, you're gonna go ahead and do it three times. He's like, never. And then he does. Three times. And we look at Peter and we kind of give Peter a bad rap, right? Like, how could you? How could you deny God? How could you deny this man when you have seen the miracles? When he has taught you for three years, when you have walked with him, how could you deny even knowing him? And we kind of set him aside as the denier, Thomas aside as the doubter, without realizing we are all doing that all of the time. All of the disciples denied Jesus. That night in the garden, when he asked them just to stay awake, they fell asleep. And then he woke them up. And then they fell asleep again. They all abandoned him. They all doubted. They all questioned. They all wondered. And yet Peter, three times, denies Jesus. And so they go back after Jesus has appeared a couple of times to them behind the door, locked behind a closed door because of fear of the Jews. Eventually they leave that room and go back to what they've always known, fishing, right? Jesus isn't present in their day-to-day. They're kind of questioning, wondering, what do we do now? And so they go back to what is most familiar, fishing. And they're out fishing And there's Jesus on the shore, doesn't announce himself, just says, hey, have you caught anything? They're like, no. He's like, put the nets on the other side. And Peter's like, I know who that is. And instead of like waiting for the boat, which goes a little bit faster in the water to get to the shore, he jumps out of the boat and just starts swimming. And I don't know about you, but I got a picture that in my brain that like as he's swimming to get to shore, the other disciples are just like rowing past him. Like, really, Peter? Like, we're totally gonna beat you. And John's like, and we got to the shore first and we beat Peter. And he was still trying to swim to get to Jesus, right? And it's on that shore. It's where Jesus sets up this breakfast for him that he calls Peter aside. And he starts to talk to Peter and he asks him, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, of course I do. He's like, okay, then feed my sheep. And then he asks him again, do you love me? And then he gets like a little offended. Jesus, yes, yes, I do. Of course I do. He's like, then feed my sheep. And he's like, got it. And then Jesus is like, do you love me? And I wonder if in that moment, Peter had just 
an instinct, a recollection, an understanding of what it was that Jesus was doing. That for the three times he verbally denied him, he was giving him three opportunities publicly to state that he loved him. And I wonder if that response was not frustrated, annoyed, but maybe a little bit broken. Yeah, I do. I do love you. And Jesus is like, then go and feed my sheep. These are the snapshots of the first Easter, of the resurrection, of Jesus rising from the dead, conquering death and sin once and for all. And there are gifts hidden in each one of those snapshots that we can take today in this moment, when even though we know today changes everything, we don't feel like everything has changed. Even though we know we are now no longer slaves to sin, we still deal and struggle with sin. Even though we know a day is coming when death will no longer be our reality, we are still faced with seeing death all around us. There are gifts hidden in each one of these snapshots that we can celebrate and take today on this Easter day. So we go back to Peter and John running to the empty tomb, not fully understanding, not getting yet, and yet realizing that Jesus is faithful. He does what he says he's going to do. He follows through. Everything he said would happen, happened. Every promise he has made has been, will be fulfilled. You can trust Jesus. He did it. He rose from the dead. They showed up. The tomb was empty. He is alive. Some of us need the gift of knowing that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful. Even as we're questioning Even as we're wondering, will you come through, Jesus? The gift of the resurrection is yes. Yes, he will. Yes, he does. Yes, he has. You can have the gift of knowing that your God is faithful today. And we go to Jesus and Mary. And the gift that Jesus offers in that space, in that moment, was he knew her name. He knew her intimately. And what about you? Do you know that he knows your name? That he sees you? That he understands what it is that you are currently walking through? He is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. He speaks your name. Do you know that Jesus? Do you know that Jesus who is so close to you that when he says your name, you recognize his voice? Because that's a gift that's being offered to you this morning. The gift of being known. And not just that, but the gift of upending societal structures that would be unjust unfair, 
things that would oppress, he upends it. He overturns it and we might not see the reality of it right now in this moment. And yet we can look at the resurrection and see that that's exactly what he does. He used a woman when in that day and time, women didn't matter. Their voices didn't count. Are there places in your life where you feel like you're waiting for justice to come? Where you're waiting to be seen and known, celebrated, acknowledged for what it is you bring to the table. That's the gift of the resurrection this morning. You are seen, you are known, and he is speaking your name. And then he goes into that room where all the disciples are and they are afraid They are filled with fear of the future. They are left with all of these questions. They don't understand what is going on. And the gift of the resurrection is peace. Peace. For those of you who are in a fearful state this day, he gives you the gift of peace. And his peace is different. His peace is a peace that that transcends understanding. It guards our hearts and our minds, which needs to happen, right? Because when our fear takes hold of us, it's our minds that start to race. Going through all the worst case possible scenarios that might be happening and Jesus comes into that moment with his resurrection and he says, peace, be still. Peace, peace. The gift of the resurrection today for you is peace. And then he comes back because Thomas was on a coffee run and he missed it the first time. And he acknowledges his doubt. He acknowledges the fact that he was gonna wait to see in order to believe. The gift of the resurrection is that there's space for your doubt today. That maybe you're still wondering, maybe you're still questioning, maybe you still don't have this thing all figured out. Maybe it's still very weird to you that a guy was dead and now he's alive and this changes everything. Maybe that's a hard thing for you to wrap your mind around. Maybe life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would when you said yes to Jesus. Maybe it's been a lot harder, a lot more painful. Maybe you're still waiting on prayers to be answered. Or maybe you got answers you didn't want. And there's doubt. And there's questions. Because you start to wonder, God, why why haven't you done something about this yet? Why didn't you heal her? Why didn't you stop that? Why haven't you fixed this yet? The gift of the resurrection today is there's space for that. Not condemnation, space, understanding. If I'm honest with you, this is where I found myself a lot lately. I don't know about you all, but these last two years have hit me pretty hard lost a lot of people 
Um, couple months ago, we lost a baby, our fourth one. Just questioning why. I don't understand. This week, we found out that a friend of ours accidentally drowned and his funeral is on Wednesday. Another friend, her sister was murdered two weeks ago. I don't understand, right? Like, I don't understand on a day when we are celebrating life and resurrection and this changing everything, why so much in my reality doesn't feel like that. And I love the fact that in the midst of the celebration that Jesus gives us space where we don't have to be in a celebratory mood, where we can still bring our doubts and our questions, our heartaches and our pain. And he very gently says, put your hands here. Put your hands here. I see you. There's space for you. And then back on the side of the water, Peter, having denied Jesus three times, the gift of the resurrection in that moment is forgiveness. Even the things that you feel like are unforgivable, the things that you keep coming into this space with, filled with guilt and shame, the resurrection takes that away. It doesn't matter what your past is. The gift of the resurrection says it is done. It is finished. There is a new you and that is what I see and that is what I celebrate and that is what I call you to. Your sin does not define you. Your worst mistake does not define you. You are not disqualified. You are loved. You are seen. You're forgiven. For some of you this morning, the greatest gift that you could walk out of this room with is forgiveness, to finally let it go. The very thing that you feel like keeps Jesus from approaching you, keeps Jesus from loving you, the resurrection speaks differently to you. He sees you, he comes to you, he forgives you. This is our Jesus. This is the resurrection. Yes, it changes everything. Yes, death has been defeated. Yes, sin has been forgiven, but you also get peace. And you also get somebody that you can trust. And you also get somebody who shows up and knows your name. Somebody who doesn't expect or ask you to be somewhere where you are not, but gives you space to be exactly where you are and meets you there. And you get a God who looks at you in your face over and over and over again and says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I love you. I love you. It's why I did all of this. It's why I went through all of this. I love you. That is the gift of the resurrection. And so maybe, maybe not everything is perfect yet. 
Maybe not everything has been restored yet. Maybe you're still waiting on prayers to be answered and yet the resurrection means just as much to you today in this moment as though everything was made right because these gifts are yours. These gifts are mine on this day when we celebrate that the tomb was empty and Jesus rose from the dead. Let's pray. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being kind and gentle, for being strong and brave, for enduring all of it, God, so that we might know life, that we might know forgiveness, that we might know hope, that we might know trust. Jesus, you have been so, so good to us, so kind to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gift of the empty tomb. Thank you for not staying dead. Thank you for coming back to life and giving us the hope that even in the midst of all that we are experiencing, all that we are going through, even in the midst of that, God, that one day, one day we know all will be made right. And that gives us reason enough to praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.